This is Joseph Giacobelli. I'm an analyst, investor, author, and the host of the Asia Climate Finance Podcast, which is a philanthropic series dedicated to the promotion of knowledge and discussion on sustainable finance in Asia from the perspective of the business of decarbonization and the energy transition in the region, which consumes about half of the world's energy and electricity. Please support this effort by liking and by subscribing to the podcast. Welcome to episode 21 of the Asia Climate Finance Podcast. Today, my guest is Jan Nabokovsky. Jan is the global head of clean energy based in Hong Kong for Aerial RE, a multi-line specialty reinsurer. And uh, Jan will tell us a little bit more about what he does and what Aerial does in a minute. The discussion really is twofold. One, really talking about the basics of what insurance is all about. And I do think that insurance is one of those areas in sustainable finance, which perhaps is not discussed enough. And then after that, the second part, we'll discuss a little bit more uh, in depth about technologies and a couple of uh, examples as well. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of uh, the Asia Climate Finance Podcast. I'm very excited today to have an old friend of mine, well, young, but old friend of mine, uh, Jan Nabokovsky. Um, Jan is a vice president at Aerial Re. He's the head of uh, clean energy risk solutions globally for the Aerial RE syndicate. And um, hello, um, Jan, how are you? How's, um, how's life in Hong Kong? Hi Joseph, it's very. Uh, I'm very pleased to be invited. Appreciate. I know you're enjoying the beautiful weather and food in Portugal. Why I'm sitting still in rainy, rainy Hong Kong, but it's uh, life. Life is getting back to normal here, and uh, I'm very excited to be back here after a couple of months, after actually longer period of time in Europe. Great, great, and um, I think Jan, maybe we we start with a little bit about. Um, yourself uh you know maybe just a quick uh self intro i'm uh, by background um a physicist um but i've i've never i've never made it to become a scientist um i somehow uh fell into the uh, trap of the financial industry which allured me many years ago and uh wait um after studies straight into working as an actuary in insurance companies. And then I had uh, uh, various roles across the insurance and reinsurance industry. Um, and in 2008, um, I was asked to develop an available insurance product to um, cover liabilities resulting um, out of manufacturers of renewable energy equipment, in particular solar modules, um, selling their modules with warranties and we were asked to develop a product which would ensure those warranties and backs up those warranties. So since 2008, uh, I had been underwriting and placing insurance products for the clean energy sector and everything related to the performance of, of clean energy technologies uh, for two different reinsurance companies and currently, as you mentioned, for a syndicate at Lloyd's uh, Aerial Re. Got it. So you got involved into clean energy and, you know, I guess early on um, in the energy transition back in 2008. And, and what about in Asia? When did you get start getting involved in Asia? Um, pretty quickly thereafter. Uh, first, I was in Europe in 2008 and nine, And uh, after we have insured a few European manufacturers of solar panels, um, as you know, the manufacturing was, was moving very quickly. Um, uh, further east, um, so we had a, a lot of inquiries from back then still Taiwan and, and Japan, a bit of Korea, and then China was starting up, and I moved to Hong Kong late 2010. Wow, so you, you, you're really there from the kind of beginning of uh, a slow but major boom in um, the industry in this part of the world. Um, 
Can we, I mean, I'm, you know, you know, my background, I'm more of a financial analyst, equity analyst, um, and, um, and I'm not really a hundred percent on top of uh, insurance, uh, and, and reinsurance markets in general. So could you start maybe with the basics for those, uh, of us who are not a hundred percent familiar with, with this world? Um, you know, first of all, you know, why do, uh, renewable energy projects need insurance in the first place. I mean, I get the fact that you know maybe there's a there's a fire or there's some kind of natural calamity, but um, are there are the reasons why the RE projects get uh, get insurance and or reinsurance. Yes. So so maybe first let's make the distinction between insurance and reinsurance. Um, I think I think it's it's sometimes misunderstood in the industry um, because some reinsurers are actually it's usually the reinsurance companies coming with new, new more complex industrial insurance products to the industry and why is it the reinsurers and not the insurers? Um, typically, the the role of insurance companies is to distribute products and then. They, they decide how much of the risk they want to maintain, but they usually reinsure majority, vast majority of the risks that they write to reinsurance companies. So it's really the reinsurance companies which are holding the risks. And I'm not talking here about, you know, super large, the likes of Allianz or, or QB or CHAP, which obviously hold much more of the risks than, than the other typical primary insurance companies. But a reinsurer is really uh, there to, to take the risk while the insurer is there to to distribute distribute the products, um, so um, insurers are obviously much stronger in developing retail, more commercial products, and reinsurers are usually more focused on providing more large industrial uh, solutions. Um, when we when we talk about uh, different insurance products for renewable energy projects, we 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 should distinguish between what we call those traditional insurance products, so those insurance products widely available in the markets and offered by uh, most of the insurance companies. And mm -hmm. these are, you know, the typical physical physical damage insurance products you're referring to, covering against uh, property damage, fire, natural catastrophes, like earthquake, hurricane, hail, etc. And those you have for the construction phase of the project and then for the operation phase of the project. Um, it's a it's a standard requirement for for all projects to to have a certain set of traditional insurance products in place, and uh, you typically, as a project owner um, or as an APC, depending who has the responsibility or the SPD itself, you 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 go out find a broker, and the broker uh, will place uh, those traditional insurance policies for you. Now. Um, the, the space that, that I'm active in, we don't provide those traditional insurance products. Um, we specialize in providing what we call non-traditional insurance products, so more bespoke solutions. And those are completely complementary to the traditional products, uh, but typically have a very different buying motivation. Um, so our um, performance insurance solutions are long-term, non-cancelable uh, policies that are covering shortfall in energy production and across various renewable energy, clean energy technologies uh, as a consequence of events which are um, which are more driven by the technology itself. So it could be um, could be design issues, it could be manufacturing defects, it could be material issues, material aging, uh, but it could be which is related to the volatility or lack of um, uh, um, resources like radiance or lack of wind for 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 wind projects. So it's a it's a different nature of um, cover because mm. um, the traditional products are so called force majeure. So mm. uh, we as we as humans don't have control over what will happen to the project. Uh, I mean, maybe with fire, it's slightly different, but especially if you talk about natural catastrophes. And for example, now it's very difficult to get a to get an insurance policy for for a for for a peril called hail for hail in the U.S. Especially, uh, it's very difficult to get the full project value insured against earthquake in Japan. This is driven by you know uh, a mix of 
demand and supply in the industry by by insurers and reinsurers. Whereas the perils that we are we are insuring are really related to the technology itself, but also to the to the um, to the to the maintenance of the project and on to how how the how the companies which provide the technology build the projects will understand what they are doing. Right. So so we need to have our own uh, mechanical, chemical, electrical engineers, scientists in the team who go out and and uh, verify the assumptions that the underlying um, project is making around how much energy they think or how much product they think they can generate over the next 5, 10, 15 years and how much of that we think we can ensure. Got, got, got it. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, as, still as part of this kind of quick introduction and the basics um, about project bankability and you know the role of insurance in uh, project bankability? This goes back, I would say, to the buying motivation I mentioned before. Um, uh, I don't. I, I mean, so again, if we keep that distinction between traditional and non-traditional insurance products, again, traditional ones more uh, covering force majeure perils. Um, a solar project will be bankable, which means it will be funded, will be debt funded, um, if you want be able to place traditional insurance policies for a project, right? An example would be um, a floating a floating solar project in Taiyuan in the north of Taiwan. Well, uh, we, we have been approached many times, even we don't provide those policies, but we've been approached many times, uh, this was a couple of years ago, by uh, small project developers who actually have built small floating solar farms on reservoirs in, in Taiyuan, and then they realized that actually they, they cannot get a property policy covering ty- typhoon uh, for those projects because the likelihood of the project being blown by a typhoon in the next 10 years is, is probably 100%. You know, mm. Maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating, but mm. it's very significant. So mm-hmm. either you have to pay a lot of premium for this or it's just not insurable. So mm. there are still projects, there are still projects which uh, may not be bankable from a traditional insurance point of view, because um, I would say some some basic risk assessment around the project from a physical damage point of view was not made properly. Um, mm. Now, the bank the bankability you're referring to uh, that, that, that I'm more involved in on a daily basis is, is related to how bankable a certain technology is or how bankable a warranty of a technology provider is, right? So, and this goes back to both the maturity uh, of the technology and maturity tra- track record of the technology itself, but also the credit worthiness of the of the of the warranty and the balance sheet of the of the warranty provider. So this is more the space in which in which um, my team is supporting the industry. Um, um, you know, we we are um, um, always trying to be at the forefront of uh, of clean technologies in the market. Um, I think a, a, a good example, I mean, solar is probably not the best example because obviously solar is, is, is highly commoditized these days, but still, I mean, there is no, there is new, new cell technologies coming out uh, mm-hmm. now with um, new, new types of HIT or, or topcon cells. Uh, you have bifacial models and um, questions around the ability to generate extra yield from the, from the, um, from the, from the, uh, back rear side of the module, you know, will be three or thirteen percent extra yield, and 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 is there a track record to verify this, and can this be insured? Yes, this can be insured, right? So, if we take even a commoditized technology like solar, but there is a uh, there is a concern by the investor around um, the forecasted yield from a from a bifacial system, let's say even on trackers, and the risks are related to. Um, the extra yield coming from a particular tracker software, uh, which has limited track record, uh, from the extra uh, boost from the rear side of the of the bifacial panel because of the limited track record for a particular albedo setup, then th- these are these are the technical risks that we have the ability to underwrite and and if we if we think uh, the the predictions 
are, are made properly, then we would we, we would ensure that elevated yield uh, mm-hmm. to the benefit of a of a of a of an investor. Um, but this is more again more commoditized technology with with some you know, novel boost and improvements. Uh, but then you can take you, know, you can take um, um, more no, more novel ways to energy technologies which just don't have a lot of track record. Like you can take a, 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 a an anaerobic digestion plant which is converting and I would say plastics into fuel, and then and then the um, the question is, well, and maybe it's a it's a two hundred million investment, but they only have a pilot plant uh, uh, which is 20, 20 times smaller, which has been running for a couple of months, and and investors don't feel comfortable um, um, funding the that that the big project based on the limited experience of the smaller pilot plant, and so what we are what we are doing is we are. We are helping to create that link between the the available uh, technical information and then taking you know taking a view on that risk and then and then putting our investment rate credit rating with our insurance policy behind uh, providing a floor or a, or a kind of a guarantee on the on the production output for the next uh, five ten years of a. Of a, of, a, of a much larger plant, and this is the bankability, I think, aspect about your about which you're asking. Um, if I can put in another kind of uh, simple way, given quite simple minded about these things, uh, if we if if we think about this in terms of the de-risking or or a, a part of the de-risking of a project, it's a little bit what uh, you know. Uh, if I have a project that is a little bit has got, so let's say newer technologies and a newer a new solar cell uh, which has got uh, an efficiency of almost 30 percent allegedly or whatever um then i go to you know if i get get a loan from adb or aib that would de-risk my project actually that's theoretically the function of these banks although very often they don't do what they're supposed to be doing but that's another conversation for another day um so the de-risking it's really a de-risking tool uh, for kind of newer technologies, at least p- part of what you do. Is that is am I thinking about this right? Yes, I mean, I mean, when, when it comes to those um, large international financial institutions, probably a big part of I think what how they are supporting industry is is uh, funding. Projects where the offtakes, where there is a significant credit or political risk around the offtake, right? Mm-hmm. This is not mm-hmm. the space that we are. We, we are not. We are not insuring credit risk. We are not insuring political risk. Mm-hmm. We are insuring technology risk, degradation risk, performance performance risk. So actually, it's a combination of both, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, um, so you know, if you if you if we go back to um, the the early days of the industry, let's say 2010, 2011, 12, and we take the investment rate. Um, um, feeding tariffs in Japan. Obviously, there was nobody was really concerned about the political risk or the credit risk um, when it comes to how the the generated yield will be monetized into into revenues. Uh, so it was really more just the will we generate a certain amount of yield? And, mm. But if you build the project in I don't know in a in a in a country where you have concerns around the the um, uh, government uh, subsidy schemes, or maybe, or maybe it's only PPAs with a local local utility, which is which is a government-owned utility. Then I think this is where where the international banks are coming in with with that support on the offtake side. But still, mm-hmm. the, as you say, the technology risk is there, right? So, if um, if a new solar cell uh, which comes with high efficiency has unproven degradation patterns. Um, there is there is ways to try to understand how that degradation will behave over five, 10, 15, 20 years. There is no one and clear way on, of of understanding and identifying this. But this is what this is what we underwrite. We 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 look at the availability of certain you know stress tests, third party tests, accelerated aging tests, and we try to understand what we think uh, what what we think the volatility. Uh, around that degradation is, and then if this is a new, uh, a relatively new company 
with a weak balance sheet and they, they will definitely come out with a 25-year warranty because they have to, to be commercial. Um, that, that warranty is not backed by any by any any form of um, balance sheet. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a natural way that they want to tr- transfer that transfer that risk to a to a to an investment grade balance sheet. That that whole technical assessment must be a common nerd, but the whole technical assessment must be really really fun. But uh, again, that's uh, that's something I guess we can talk over over a, a nice bottle of um, of wine. Um, if I can move on, what's fun? <laughs> it, it was fun. It was it was fun in two thousand eight. Nine and ten. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sometimes you must have been a um, little bit uh, losing sleep at night. But anyway, uh, in terms of um, just to to get another kind of high level understanding, could you just talk a little bit about three market profiles? One is Europe in general. You know what what's going on there, given that. Europe has been at that clean energy game a little bit longer than than peers. Um, and then, secondly, could we focus on on Asia and what's what what would you see in terms of developments here? Um, and thirdly, and I remind you of these three areas. Don't worry. Um, and thirdly, if we can talk a little bit about the merchant markets and the non-merchant markets in Asia and how you are. Uh, you kind of look, look, look at these from from an insurance perspective. So, shall we start with Europe? And you know, what's what's you know, are, are we is is you are we? I'm saying this because I'm Italian, you're Polish, but are we Europeans the leaders uh, when it comes to uh, to insuring um, clean energy projects in terms of uh, experience? Mm, I think I think we are not. I mean, the, I think the Americans are clearly. I mean, at least in our and and and. In, in our experience, um, and this can be also driven by the fact that maybe we had been historically not had, we, we did. We, I mean, the team did not, and also our friendly competitors historically we did not have as much presence in Europe as we had in the US and in mm-hmm. Asia, and this was predominantly driven by the by the fact that um, Asia was the manufacturing market. So when it comes to backstopping liabilities arising out of uh, um, warranties sold with the equipment, you know, historically we take solar modules and now if we look at battery cells, um, this is being you know, all manufactured in Asia, right? Uh, so mm. th- this was by far the biggest market when it comes to insuring uh, or backstopping uh, warranties or ensuring performance guarantees of, of renewable energy equipment. So we can't say. Sorry, so Jan, for interrupting. So we can't say that that Europe is a more experienced and mature market relative to other areas in the world. No, when it comes to traditional insurance policies, I think for sure. When it comes to wind, and again, we, as you know, that we we have. Um, we, we predominantly focus on solar and battery storage, fuel cells in different forms of bioconversion and energy efficiency. Uh, so we had not been very strong in wind, and this is probably one of the reasons why I said that that we had been underrepresented um, in Europe. Europe was historically a very strong wind uh, wind market, both mm. onshore and offshore. Right. So I think when it comes to wind, it's by far the most mature market. But this is also one of the reasons why. Um, a lot of the performance and machinery breakdown aspects uh, related to wind uh, projects are covered by so-called traditional, quite comprehensive and wide in scope machinery breakdown BI policies. And this is where I think the brokers and the insurers in Europe had been had been very strong with, especially the um, the London market. So by by no means I want to under, underplay that. I think has been very strong in terms of wind, but then. The, I'm talking from, from 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 my perspective, so the technology, mm-hmm. the four areas that mm-hmm. I have mentioned, which um, is historically the manufacturing of the equipment, the, the large projects, so the large scale projects where large reinsurers, insurers have appetite for. You need to have some scale in order to place those insurance policies. This has been, I mean, the, the US was the dominant market, and currently, um, when it, if you ask me. Geographically, what what is the 
what are the markets where we have most demand for in terms of placing project performance policies for different type of solar battery storage, fuel cell, and, and bioconversion uh, project uh, performance policies. Uh, number one is is, is US, uh, then it's followed by Europe. Um, but as I would say that 50% of the requests that we're having are from, from the US, maybe 60%, and then uh, it's probably about 20% is from Europe, and that's the, the, then, then it's the rest of the world. Um, but this does not this does it this should be not used as a reference for how mature the market is in terms of having projects on the ground because mm -hmm. remember that a big role big role uh, um, um, which um, the entities which play a very big role in how much of those insurance policies are being replaced are also insurance brokers insurance brokers are the entities which especially in the industrial end they represent uh, they're hired by by you know project developers, asset managers, technology companies mm -hmm. to place 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 a variety of insurance policies, property liability, etc., for them and for their projects. And it really often comes down to the insurance brokers to also understand and um, the the type of niche and more specialized products that we offer and be able to to explain those and 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 suggest those to their to their, to their customers and, and what i can say from my experience is that the european market uh at least we felt that like the u.s broker market was much stronger and historically it was always from a broker point of view the, the strongest market um, um globally and and europe has followed um that being said there is still more work for us to do in europe so so, so we, we we create more awareness, you know, for the availability of those mm. of those products, both directly across the industry, but also across the broker industry. Yeah, got, got, got it. And how does um, how does uh, Asia fit into this whole overall picture? Um, the I, I would say that the um, so again we have to go back. What is the buying motivation? For, mm -hmm. for those uh, performance insurance policies, um, it's it's it can, there there can be free buying motivations. I mean, one is obviously risk transfer. This should be always the the predominant buying motivation for every insurance policy. You want to transfer some risk off your balance sheet to the insurance balance sheet, and then you just evaluate what's the cost benefit of it. Um, but then the buying motivation could be also, uh, as you mentioned, the word bankability. Buying motivation would be, well, maybe I, as a project owner, developer, technology provider, I don't think I need any performance insurance, but my my stakeholders, my investors, my, my lender, they would like me to buy uh, some risk transfer, at least to protect, protect their investment. Mm. Um, so this is very often this is very often the, the buying motivation. So um, you you know we 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 may be getting requests directly from project owners, but we may be getting requests also from asset managers, from 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 lenders directly mm. uh, uh, evaluating options on how to make a project uh, fundable from their perspective and what are the options to transfer technology risk, which mm. they which they are not accustomed of accustomed of of doing. Um, so we, we work a lot with brokers who represent also financial institutions and only with mm. brokers who represent industrial companies, right? And the third buying motivation could be a bit of credit enhancement. And this is, but this goes back more to the warranty piece, right? So mm. if, a, if, a, if a company, if a, if a, if a manufacturer of, of, of equipment uh, issues a warranty for, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, and they don't have that balance sheet to make that warrant, warranty credible towards their customers and their stakeholders, uh, then they may be buying an insurance policy which backs that warranty. So it's a, it's a performance insurance policy because it's backing a performance warranty, but you have that additional benefit of having a, a, an investment-grade balance mm -hmm. sheet sitting behind, behind that insurance policy, um, unlike, uh, unlike the, warranty, the warranty itself. Go, go, go. So to, to your question about Asia, so sorry, because I no no worries. What I do, I, um, 
<laughs> putting so everything to, into to context, putting everything into context. Um, yeah. To put exa exactly. So Asia, I think the uh, um, globally the, the the predominant driver is, um, I would say, um, enhancement of um, enhancement of investment. Um, whether this is equity form of investment or or getting debt into the project, more debt, cheaper debt, uh, longer debt because we can provide a longer term policy. This is the predominant driver of these policies. And then it's only risk transfer. And especially in Asia, uh, the, um, the interest in understanding what, what is actually, um, what, what are the downside scenarios, what could happen um, to the project and what is the risk that we think as a technology provider, as a project owner that we want to transfer out is, is I would say, less present than in the, in the, in the Western markets. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. um, so, so the it's, it's predominantly driven really by demands from uh, investors and financial institutions who just would like to, and, but also the project owners who would like to get better terms, you know, for, mm. for their investments. And if there is a cost benefit, then it's a win-win-win. Right. Um, still talking about um, the Asian markets in general. Um, we've got you know two kind of scenarios. One is the, and I guess most of Asian markets are like that, the non-merchant markets where you have a long-term power purchasing agreement with typically state-owned you know, entity in places like you know Vietnam or 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 in uh, in um, Indonesia. And then you've got situations where it's all merchant, right? That you're you don't have a PPA. Uh, at best you may have a corporate PPA, but sometimes you don't even have that. Does that make any any difference in terms because you know earlier you mentioned about the uh offtake risk so obviously if you know the, the the person can't pay you that's 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 pretty obvious risk uh and that's and you was also saying that that's not necessarily what you look at but what about merchant markets versus non-merchant markets is there uh, do, do you have some some thoughts on that we we are agnostic to it as long as we cover performance and output mm -hmm. uh, shortfall in the project, right? So as long as uh, what we say in the insurance argument, as long as the insured perils, so the, the, the risks that we cover are uh, related to the technology, maintenance, equipment, uh, design of the project, uh, resource risk, then um, we don't, we, we remunerate or compensate the insured for a shortfall in production through what is a fixed compensation rate in our policy, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. um, let's say it's a it's a fifteen it's a it's a fifteen year policy. The insured has the ability to to index the compensation rate for each of the fifteen years, mm -hmm. uh, but it's important that this is agree agreed when the policy is being signed. Mm. And we 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 don't we don't uh, compensate or we don't monetize the shortfall of production um, uh, through a through, through a live market price, um, right? So we we don't take market price risk. It's also it's a you know insurance industry is also a highly regulated market, and uh, there would be specialized insurers who would be have the ability or reinsurers to take the to take pure market price risk, but then also nobody would take market price risk for you know what what usually the the debt providers are after five seven ten years. That's uh, I don't think that's available in in the market. So um, to, to 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 your question, we are quite agnostic. Um, I think if if um, remember our policies are long term policies. Mm -hmm. matching usually the duration of of debt or 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 of a warranty. So it could be for a project would be 5, 10, 15, 15 years. Mm. Um, um, if, I think if, if, if the market would expect the insurers to take include some market price risk, then this mm. would have to be a significantly shorter-term policy. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how, how short-term, let's say annual, like most insurance policies. But then, uh, then you lose the benefit 
of a long-term non-cancelable policy, which is matching the duration of the or the, the tenor of debt. So it's a give and go. Um, with the existing product, you have a let's say a 15-year non-cancelable policy, and if in year five there is a substantial um, uh, technical failure in the project, which is causing shortfall in production. Um, the supplier of equipment is, is bankrupt, so they are not replacing the equipment under the warranty. The project decides not to replace the equipment, and then the insurer will be paying a related loss in, loss in revenue for each of the years 6 to 15. That, mm-hmm. That's our catastrophic scenario, so to right. say, right? And the equity will, will be always bleeding a bit as well, but the insurer will have a substantial loss throughout years 6, six to 15. That's the benefit of a, of a non-cancelable long-term policy. Um, to the benefit of the of the lender, so you have that service that service protected. Uh, now, if you include market price risk, maybe the insurers would, if they would have appetite, then probably you know for one, two, maybe years, and you lose the benefit of having that long term uncancelable policy. Mm-hmm. So maybe you get maybe you get a big loss paid out in in one or two years, but then nobody will renew the policy under the same terms. Right, 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 right. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we've gone through kind of the basics, um, let's call it 101, uh, of, of the markets and and how, you know, insurance actually works. Can we talk a little bit more, more now about what are some of the kind of key developments in, in these markets, in, especially in Asia? Um, you know, are, are there any specific key developments, uh, any key issues that, that you want to highlight? And perhaps... Um, Obviously, without mentioning any any project names, uh, et cetera, but maybe two or three uh, case studies to 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 give a little bit of color uh, to to these issues and key developments. I would say, I mean, there is um, there is for, for us there is a generally mature equipment manufacturing market, which is which is China, and then the the other places where across Asia where, where they have their manufacturing facilities. But this is predominantly solar cells panels, but also um, lithium-ion cells. Mm. Um, so just what I say, it's a mature market. It's a mature market in the sense that those not, those non-traditional performance policies are, are embedded into the annual... Uh, buying behavior of those companies it's a it's a it's an insurance policy that they are buying as they as they are buying a, a property damage policy for their factory and the liability policy for their product right so um i think i think this is this 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 is this is an interesting example of how you move from a product which was very bespoke in 2008 when we were starting and was still bought by you know a handful of companies to now i think it's about I think it's about so I would make a guess about 60 percent or more of the industry that is actually insured, which is which is which is quite high in, in China. I'm talking about the solar industry. And I think the I think the battery storage, the battery storage uh, industry will follow because it has it has a different but generally speaking similar dynamics in terms of uh, you know um, Chinese cell battery cell suppliers supplying volumes of cells to the integrators um, globally and then the integrators building their their systems with their own warranties but relying on the on the warranties from the from the cell suppliers um, when it comes to project business so this is this is equipment warranty as I mentioned right so mm-hmm. um, then, when it, then when you look at other Asian markets I mean Japan is not really a, a, a manufacturing market anymore um, not necessarily Korea is not really a big one, um, other than for maybe certain types of fuel cells and obviously battery cells as well. But um, you know the, the likes of Samsung or Hyundai will not be buying performance insurance because they have bigger balance sheets than insurers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if they if, if they if they if if they if they want to buy it, you know they, they probably would expect the price which the insurers would not be able to support. Um, Although they, they had their struggles as well, right? So I mean, there, mm. there were severe product product recalls that they had in the past, uh, which they sustained themselves. And um, so, when it comes to 
manufacturers market is still predominantly China, followed by Vietnam, and then obviously India, uh, which India has been a very, um, yeah, uh, I'm not afraid of using that word, difficult market for us for years, because it's been always coming, coming, but still the volumes, the quality was was not there really mm-hmm. for it to be an attract, attractive market to provide this corporate insurance products by stopping the warranties. Mm-hmm. And this has, I would say, significantly changed over the last two years, significantly. So, um, you know, we've all seen, the, you know, press releases about big investments that the likes of Reliance or Adani are making into renewals. The, so that the volumes, the types of lines that they are building, um, this is all, you know, much more, much more than it was two years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so um, this is a market in which we are, you know, now actively, actively getting involved. Uh, again, start, start starts with solar, and this is what their predominant focus at the moment is. But it's it's also a, um, a market where projects and financial institutions are showing demand for those products. I think it will. I think it will take some time until probably the hit ratio of those policies will be quite limited. Um, but for example, as you know, as, to, as, a, as a comparison. Mainland China is not a market where performance insurance is being considered even for local projects, right? I mean, as long as you don't have proper non-recourse finance, these policies will not will, will not have a place because they directly tie into into protecting that service on a on a on a non-recourse project finance scheme. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, um, but therefore, Korea and Australia have been have been quite active markets in the past. So, um, Korea has become a, a, a quite active fuel cell and bio conversion market. Uh, we have placed few policies and and um, waste to energy space in Korea, um, and. Um, I, uh, when it comes to Australia, it's predominantly battery storage and signals of also demand for for performance insurance for bio bioconversion processes. So you see, so these are those areas which are less commoditized, and you know, bioconversion is by far commoditized. Every every these days, basically, almost every project is using a slightly different technology with very limited track record. This will change over time as those as those technologies get more mature and commoditized. And the problem will be the, the amount of the projects and the, the aggregation risk, so, so to say. But for now, it's really getting those first projects over those first bankability hurdles. Um, and this is applicable to both storage uh, and bioconversion. I think with storage, the concern is around the performance warranties because they're they are getting longer and longer with very limited, um, uh, very limited um, data uh life cycling historical cycling data mm. to really predict on how the degradation will happen over 15 years or 10 years um, um it's more it's more based on predictions and then and then again the credibility of those warranties is relatively low so um i think there's a natural natural demand to to try to backstop those those warranties so, so Battery storage and bioconversion are, I think, for us the, uh, the the two areas where we will see most demand in in Asia, uh, but predominantly in in I would say in in more, in more developed markets. Um, when it comes to, I mean, I guess the difference between, uh, and as you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a you know I do finance, so I'm I'm pretty stupid when it comes to technology, but I would guess that the waste to energy bioconversion technologies are relatively more mature and you're not you know the kind of the evolution or development of this technology you're not seeing any kind of major um it's more an evolutionary kind of process where it probably get better a little bit more efficient etc whereas with battery storage you may see in the coming in the short term like two three five years max some very drastic changes in terms of the Materials used, um, where it's manufactured, etc. Would would that would that assumption, um, financial analyst assumption, be correct, Yan? 
I think on the waste to energy, uh, the, the biggest, you're, you're right that some of the technologies, or sorry, some technologies, some of the processes are well known, but they're well known for a certain type of feedstock. And mm. now mm. when it comes to managing waste, it's all about, it's all about changing and, and you know, uh, uh, utilizing more and more waste and different types of waste. So, you know, a process that has been used using a, um, know, um, um, a, a conventional municipal waste feedstock now, they'll try to apply this to, by using different types of feedstocks. And, mm. and then mm. it's all about how really, the, how, how will, which, which adjustments to the process have to be made into the equipment and, and how will the, how will the uh, mass heat balance of the of the system change? So it's really about those predictions um, and whether any using that feedstock could expose the, the, the system and the facility to any unexpected like catastrophic events when the whole thing blows. Um, so um, yeah, I, I would I would answer in in, in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to storage. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, yes. I mean, I, I think there is a similarity to to solar in terms of, you know, again, um, so, so solar, you know, crystalline modules, not getting into different types of cells that have been used over time and change, but most of the uh, most of the um, um, recalls or serial defects that have been seen in the industry over the last ten years. Uh, was due to material issues. Yeah. Well, there is more materials going into solar module than there is into a solar cell. Um, but this is, this is what we are act- actively kind of underwriting and learning and investigating is what, is, what are really the, the main drivers for potential degradation on, in, in storage. And obviously we have our findings, but I don't want to, speak openly about those um um sure um uh, i i i think the, the 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 biggest challenge as you said is is the upgrade uh in the cells happening on a on a six-month basis where even if you get some historical cycling data degradation data about you know a certain product type and you try to make um uh, predictions and you build models how to predict the degradation for this particular type. Well, six months later, it's not it's already not applicable because there had been changes A, B, C, and D made to the cell. And now you 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 get from a technical point of view, you're trying to understand how this could impact uh, predictions. But also, you would like to have some some testing to see if there is any indications of any additional volatility in the degradation. And you have to wait again. And then once you wait for the test results. You know the cells have been upgraded again, so um, mm-hmm. I, I I I I believe that the insurers are doing a, a proper job in actually tra- transferring a lot of risk out of the industry, uh, given how fast the, the industry is currently developing. So I guess it, there's a there's a few variable elements, and I, w- I wanted to dig in a little bit into energy storage because I think that. As far as I'm concerned, it's really the most important area of development in Asia for Asia to go from you know brown to green. Um, obviously, because you know when there's when there's no sun, you don't have solar power, and there's no wind, you've got no wind power. So that's that's the importance of storage. But I guess there's some uh, moving parts, and the first moving part is how the uh, operator or manufacturer or both of the energy storage are managing or actually managing it because and I'm here I'm referring to you know traditionally people like myself who use cell phones know that you know it's not good to charge your phone you know 100% of the time um better have it i don't know up to like in a, and then bring it down to maybe like 20 30% and then recharge it up to 90, 95%, and that you can have more cycles and prolong the life of the battery. Um, um, and that's as far as my technological expertise goes. Um, but I know it's a lot more complicated when you've got you know huge batteries and the batteries have got slightly different materials. So obviously the testing is quite 
is quite complex. So you've got a materials variable and you've got a utilization variable. Um, and, and that's going to change quite rapidly over the next few years, I believe, because of innovation when it comes to battery. I mean, everybody that we can think of is working on new battery technologies using, you know, more available materials, less rare earths, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so how do you kind of, honestly speaking, just cope with that? I mean, it's, it sounds like a, it sounds a little bit different from solar because I see solar over the last 10, 15 years more as an evolution, you know, the gradual improvement, you make a few tweaks, et cetera, et cetera, and you get that. I still remember when people were happy getting, you know, 10, 11% on a ground solar uh, utility scale uh, project. And now you're talking about, you know, 20% and sometimes even a little bit more. So that's really what we're talking about. So how do you deal with the energy storage side? And I've got no idea if my question makes sense. So please uh, rephrase it in whichever way you want. <laughs> I know it makes sense. Um, so when I was when I was comparing to solar, and it's a very far going comparison, and um, it should not be made. Uh, in the back of my head, I had the uh, round trip efficiency and capacity degradation curves for mm, mm, for, mm. for solar cells and systems, and making this widespread comparison to a you know to a watt peak uh pp max degradation um uh, curve for for a solar module but as you say um well there's there's the the devil sits in the operation and utilization of the equipment right the solar module is out there in the field and and, it, and as long as you have sun it just it just generates electricity uh with the battery you can decide how you want to use it so the user case is very important, and um, the the warranties uh, that um, battery system integrators are offering to their customers uh, will be different from project to project, depending on what the expected user case of their customer, the project owner or the asset manager, will be. Um, now, a proper uh, battery uh, performance warranty is actually a very. It should be a quite sophisticated document. It should it should predict on how you change what you guarantee depending on the operational conditions of the system. Mm. And the operational conditions of the system uh, would be, you know, the the the, the charge under under which you charge discharge, the amount of cycles per day that you use, temperature, etc., etc. And then. Um, Actually, when you look at those really advanced warranties, they have a breakdown and lots of permutations of, well, you know, if you stay within the amount of cycles per day, but you change the, the, the charge on the withdrawal charge and discharge, then it's, you know, the, the warranty drops this level. And then if you do more cycles per day, then agree, then it drops, you know, from, from the, the amount of cycles guaranteed will drop from X to Y, etc. So to your your point is very valid because the user case is makes a big difference. Now um, that's why it's it's um, it's it's complex enough with the limited availability of the tech of the historical technical information I was referring to before to underwrite a utility scale. Sorry, mm. um, 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 yeah, a utility scale battery project. Um, which has a fixed uh, user case, so you know it's just using for a particular purpose, and you have you know I don't know one two cycles a day at this charge, and um, that's the user case which is repeatedly being used, and you don't you don't expect that user case will change. Um, now, if if and more and more uh, batteries being used, you know, in merchants' market to optimize the grid. Uh, there's a huge play with optimization companies are playing now because they decide how to how to maximize the profitability of the battery system in terms of the revenues that the project can generate by utilizing the batteries. Mm -hmm. And they may decide from day day to day to to change their 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 sales strategies. Um, and what we have seen is that actually very often those warranty conditions are breached in the very early stage, 
because the the project owner wants to maximize the profitability of the system, mm-hmm. and what really is what what really what really is secondary is you know to worry about whether the warranty will last now instead of for eight years only for three years when they know that in the next year they want to make most use out of the current conditions, the grid, and just maximize the usage of the system. Um, this is the reason why I mean we have been working for a while on on understanding to what extent we think we could provide like a savings guarantee on a, on a storage system, right? Because when you have a, when you have a solar system, we can provide a, a revenue guarantee yeah. on a solar system. Yeah. Again, I mean, or a, or a production or a kilowatt hour guarantee. Um, um, but again, for storage, that's way more complex because this optimization um, plays a big role and um, it's moral hazard. If you, if you ensure a certain sales strategy and then how do you make sure that the sales strategy doesn't change next day and and that the, that the equipment will not be utilized in a in a different way so so for now we're trying to limit ourselves to those run trip efficiency of capacity also availability warranties and maybe liquidated damages related to to reduced availability um but of offering a a kind of revenue slash savings guarantee that's very complex because then you also have the the merchant's price component about which you were talking right um and you 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 were talking um where well, we talked about the technology side of energy storage my again limited technical understanding is that the digital side of this is also very very important in so far as that's really how you manage and operate the battery, right? Through the digital systems. So when you when you look at uh, the technology, materials, et cetera, of the, of the battery, um, do you also have to do a in-depth look at the digital solutions that the operator, the manufacturer is using to maximize the operations of the battery? So, I mean, if, if we refer only to the equipment and the battery management system, BMS, yes, that's, that's part that, that's obviously ensured as well. And then obviously the, the, the ability to maintain the systems and understand uh, what what failures exist in the system is coming down to the use of the of the, of the BMS. So this is covered as well, and that's the, that's the system that we use to validate claims. But on the optimization side, that's way more complex. I mean, mm, this mm. is this is not where we are because there's a lot of there's a lot of human decisions there. Yes, um, yes, indeed. Right? And then and then those human human decisions are being made based on what's the best for the. I mean, there's a trade-off between the optimizing the 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 reliability and durability of the system versus optimizing profitability in a particular day, right. month, or year. And um, and this is this is why this is why at this moment. Um, yeah, we it, 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 it would be a struggle for insurer from a moral hazard point of view to provide like a savings guarantee. Obviously. So what we are working on is trying to identify to what perils, to what events we would limit such a such a coverage so that it's a it's a good win win for both the insured and the insurer. Got it, got it. Um, so m- maybe um, we can look a little bit uh, forward. I mean, you partly answer the, the question I'm going to ask, which is, you know, what, what's your outlook? You know, wh- where are the opportunities, uh, at least in the in the Asia region? And you did kind of say that, well, basically when you're talking about, you know, developed Asia, the biggest areas of growth are, you know, better battery storage and uh, bioconversion, WTE. Um, do, do you have any other kind of thoughts about, you know, the outlook in Asia over the next uh, few years when it comes to uh, your business? So the, the outlook is typically um, based on reactively on what, what what the demand is or the inquiries are mm. that we are seeing from the market. Mm. And while in um, Europe and in, in, in the US, we are seeing now more and more uh, inquiries related to, and this is very early stage in terms of you know project advancement and some of the technologies are also very early stage, but you know, two magic words, obviously, carbon capture and hydrogen. 
Um, I've, uh, we have not seen uh, any any of those inquiries um, popping up yet in Asia. Mm, 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 mm. Right? Um, energy efficiency projects, uh, yes, but that's 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 nothing new. Um, like for example, you know, with inquiries, can you guarantee savings uh, related to I don't know the replacement of uh, streetlights from conventional to LEDs, like the city of Bangkok or city of Dubai, etc. So this is more plain vanilla, but those are those are uh, not, not very frequent um, requests. Uh, the, the highest frequency in Asia right now is storage um, um, and bioconversion. Mm. Um, in terms of new requests, um, I think. Um, what, what would surprise me a little bit is that uh, because it, it comes down really to the incentives that the that the governments are providing, like Korea yes. provides um, particular incentives when it comes to using fuel cells. Um, um, so there, there is a, it, it is a strong fuel cell project market. Um, um, I think I think I think. Going forward, I mean, you, you don't really expect other countries to provide this type of incentive. So I'm, I'm not sure how. I don't. Know, maybe then, some point, in one could expect this in Australia. Um, mm -hmm. But but nothing will get in in the space of of, of hydrogen or or or, or carbon Got capture. Um, um, and I guess um, you know one one last point is. Uh, just to wrap it up, I mean, do you have any kind of final thoughts, uh, messages, uh, uh, and and ideas that you do you want to share? I I, I would love to, um, if 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 our um, if the inquiries that we are receiving. Um, I would, it's really like a dream to an insurer that if somebody comes to you asking you to to backstop or guarantee a certain floor on production output for a certain whatever the technology is a project, the dream to the insurer is that the inquiry includes, you know, a, 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 a proper assessment done by the project themselves mm. um, in terms of what they thing really is that the risk is that they would like to transfer. Uh, where we where we really struggle is when the inquiries are like, you know, this is this is project A and that's it. You know, we just know the size of the project and the technology and and then a, a very a very pro forma early cash flow model. And then the question is uh, what can you insure? And because we, it's it's very. I mean, we, we can insure everything. It's just a question of. I mean, not everything, but I think we can insure all the things. It's just a question of of price. But the mm. the the question, the first question back is like for us: What is your buying motivation? I mean, are you are you trying to smoothen your cash flows? Are you trying to insure a very remote, uh, um, a very remote, unexpected downside scenario just to protect, you know, a certain very low subordinated level of of, of 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 revenues to the benefit maybe of a financial institution because depending on on what the um, uh, level of coverage is that we're expected or being asked to provide our assessment will be also very different right I mean mm -hmm. if, if somebody is asking asking us only to ensure 60 percent of expected output, uh, versus, for example, ninety-five percent of expected output. Obviously, the depth of our assessment has to be very, very different. Mm -hmm. Not not only speaking about the cost of the of the of the, of the insurance policy. So, um, so this is this is this is very, I think, helpful to the to the insurer to provide optimal terms to the project uh, when we understand what the what really what kind of task are we being asked to fulfill. You know, are they or they, do they want to use insurance to school from their cash flows? Then we know, okay, uh, it's going to be it's going to be um, what we call a nutritional loss type mm. of cover uh, with with uh, probably a bit of cash swapping. But um, you know, we we really need to dig deep into 
the technology understands the volatility around the expected output and, and in order to provide such a coverage or mm. or it's, is it really look I only want I only need to ensure a highly unexpected scenario and event to to fulfill a requirement set by my investor uh, what is the minimum information that we need for that and can, can you give me a can you give me a rough rough cost of rent so mm. this is always very helpful got it got it yeah. um well listen uh yeah yeah and i've uh, i've uh, abused uh, too much of your time already and uh, i'm very 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 grateful that uh we could uh finally get to chat about the the whole insurance game uh when it comes to uh the energy transition and decarbonization in asia which i think is a very very important and often not discussed enough topic um so uh yeah just want to thank you for participating in uh, this episode of the asia climate finance podcast yeah thanks a lot joseph and i, I can only expect we'll be getting a lot of inquiries from lisbon this day <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you will i'm sure you will thank you again Jan. thank you okay appreciate it. thank you cheers I hope you did enjoy this episode of the Asia Climate Finance Podcast. I would really appreciate any feedback, topic ideas, etc. Uh, my contact is in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you.